build business with passion and let data tell your story. If you are a founder having difficulties handling investors' curveball questions, or an investor wondering how to find the next golden startup deal, then this is the podcast for you. Hi, I'm Parul, your host for this episode of the Dudash Investability Podcast. Okay, so yeah, sorry about that. Uh, thank you everybody for joining today. I see a lot of familiar faces who joined in our past events. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everybody because Anton is joining from a different time zone to us today. And uh, that's why we also shifted uh, the time for our usual event. I'm the founder and CEO of Udash. Uh, as a background, I'm a serial entrepreneur, have built uh, in the past multi-million dollar companies, also invests privately in uh, companies for more than 15 years, have experience in M&A. So basically the entire uh, landscape is uh, covering. And I'm really excited to welcome our guest, Anton, uh, today. Anton was born in Indonesia. He grew up in Singapore. He's a materials engineer by education. And now as CEO of Trendlines, the fund is focusing on investing in agri-tech, food tech, and medical devices. Thank you for joining me today, uh, Anton. So being in Singapore, I guess it's hard to escape the dynamic of a startup ecosystem. Can you perhaps zoom into the dynamic of the region specifically around your fund thesis? And how is it likely to grow in the next decade or so? Perhaps introduce yourself. Uh, I'm sure you'll do a much better job than I did. So, Thank you, Paro. Thanks for the kind introduction. Hi, everyone. My name is Anton Wibowo. Um, I'm from Trendlines Group. So the Trendlines Group is an Israeli-based investment company. Uh, and our investment philosophy is to invest in something that improves the human condition. And for that purpose, we have two verticals. Uh, one is the medical devices uh, sector, and, and then the other one is agri-food technologies. I'm from the agri-food tech unit. Uh, I manage a, a 20 million USD fund uh, in Singapore that we just set up about three and a half years ago. And, um, and the mandate of this fund is to invest 25% in early stage companies. And by early stage, we define it as uh, any, any startup that is pre-revenue. Um, and uh, 75% is for post-revenue companies. Um, we look across all verticals in the agri-food from the upstream, uh, like the biotech, seed genetics, uh, uh, agri-inputs. And then the midstream will be robotics, automation, data analytics, and um, and then further downstream will be the closest to customers or consumers, uh, and anything to do with food tech, uh, in- ingredients, alternative proteins. Um, so yeah, we look we look across the full spectrum of uh, agri food technologies, and uh, the one uh, focus that we have uh, in this. Uh, in this fund is to look at startups that offer technologies that will be relevant to the Asian market and specifically uh, Southeast Asian region. Um, so even though we invest in, the, I mean, we right now we have nine portfolio companies uh, and uh, for example, we have invested in four Singaporean companies, four Israeli companies given our Israeli link. And then we have one uh, UK startup that we have invested in. Uh, but all of them uh, have uh, focused or have a, at least expansion plan to the to the Asian market. So that is the one common, uh, if I I would say thesis across all our investment. Yeah. Thank you. So I have a, a question for you with respect to capital efficiency. European startups do much more with less capital compared to the U.S. companies. How do you see this comparison with the companies that you invest in in Israel and Southeast Asia? And uh, and your investment thesis is around these two geographies. So how does it also compare with the global thesis? And also what I would like to add to this question is, how does re- regulation affect your industry per se? Hmm. Um, I think we see similar or common trade uh, with uh, Asian uh, uh, startups or 
also Israeli startups when it comes to capital uh, efficiency. Um, one of the common comments that I, I get from when, when I bring uh, fellow investors, let's say from the US or even from uh, other regions to look at the startups here is that, uh, I mean, they won't say it out loud, but they will tell me, oh, it's so cheap, uh, the, 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 the startup here, right? And, and it's not a bad thing. Uh, I mean, the valuation is, is always reasonable. Um, and I think, uh, well, I guess it's, it's also has to do with the, maybe the, the, the startup culture or, or the way the founders uh, are operating it. Like, like a, a, a brick and mortar business itself, even though with the added uh, uh, you know, features of it being a deep tech company, being you know, early stage, being a startup, bootstrapping. Um, I, I see that it is very similar with European uh, uh, startups, companies, where the, the, the founders are not spending a lot or much even in, in, the, in the marketing or in the publicity uh, but the 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 con of that is that then they are less known, right? Uh, not many people will hear about them. By the time you know them, they say, "Oh, I, I'm already making a few millions of revenue," and we say, "Where have you been?" Right? Um, so I think that that's the the, the pro and con uh, of the uh, startups uh, here in this uh, in this region, uh, and uh, and also I think that is where. Uh, Platform like like Udash would be very useful when it comes to to deal flow for us. Um, I mean, besides our own personal network of of looking for uh, startups or founders, uh, a, a curated uh, kind of uh, a deal flow or event uh, is always very helpful from my experience in in unearthing all these gems of uh, of startups uh, here. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, and then to your second question about regulatory. Yeah. Uh, I, I will break that into two because uh, even though we, we look at the full theme of agri-food, I mean, at least for myself, I look at the agri-food sector, but uh, I, I think then it can be split into ag tech and food tech. So yes. as, as for ag tech, uh, I don't see any uh, big regulatory hurdle unless you're dealing with the uh, genetic modification of seeds or, or products and uh, about data collection from, from the farmers themselves as an as a individual. That, that has been increasingly regulated. It's still unclear, very vague. Every country has their own uh, data protection kind of, uh, of uh, act or policy, uh, but we do not know how they will enforce it for the, for the agricultural sector. Um, as for food tech, I think this is where it is more... Uh, uh, highly regulated. I mean, it makes sense. Is it has to do with food that will go to human. Uh, so when it comes to safety, uh, when it comes to novel ingredients, novel food products, uh, the regulation, uh, the regulatory agency is normally lagging behind. But I have to give credit to, uh, I mean, the Israeli uh, food agency and and then the Singapore food agency because. I think one of the strengths of these two countries is that the, the, the government is very much supportive of developing startup ecosystem. So, and and that, not, that is not just from financial perspective or infrastructure, but the regulatory bodies are also keeping track very closely with what's new in the market, right? What's the startup is, what, start, what are the startups doing? Uh, and if there's anything new, okay, we need to know about it. Is it is it safe? Da, da, da. And with that kind of uh, moving together, then when a good product or a good technology is is uh, is uh, developed, the regulatory bodies already are aware, and and then they can uh, approve it, right? So one good example, uh, Singapore is the first country that approves the sale of cultured chicken. Cultured chicken are basically chicken that is grown in the lab, okay, without the chicken itself. But it's meat that is grown in the lab. Um, and uh, and I have to say, Singapore uh, is not the place where the first startup in this field came from, right? It came from Netherlands, it came from Israel. But Singapore was the first to approve it. And because of that, they are able, now Singapore is able to attract many of these uh, deep tech, food tech companies 
uh, startups into in, into the country. Uh, and yeah, I I, I think that's a, that's a brilliant move uh, by the food agency. Yeah, I heard about that actually. I I met with another fund who invests in um, deep tech and food tech space similar to this. So I learned about uh, many interesting, much more innovation that's happening. It was pretty mind blowing. So just an extension to the previous question on capital efficiencies across the geographies, and it is important for shaping VC returns. 55% of American startup founders have immigrant background. Similarly, 49% of UK startups have at least one migrant founder. It's uh, Germany's catching up. Uh, one of the four startup founders or one of five uh, startup founders have a migration background. What would you have as thoughts uh, for the Singaporean startup ecosystem? Because it's a very small geography connecting so many hotspots in Asia. How do you think immigrants fuel the economy and innovation? And perhaps some of the unique traits that you have observed in the founders uh, with migration background and how do they create new opportunities? Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's a very interesting question. And also, uh, I, I, I tried to, to observe and make some comparison uh, in the past between the Israel and, and Singapore, both are small countries in terms of uh, land size, in terms of population, uh, and have very similar uh, geopolitical kind of uh, situation. Um, and the challenges are the same. However, there's uh, quite a stark difference when it comes to uh, the, the founders uh, or the, the nature of the, of the founders. Um, first, on, on your question on uh, does being an immigrant, I mean, I myself being an immigrant that comes to this uh, part of the world, um, I, I do think that plays a, 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 a big factor uh, because I tend to observe that uh, founders that have uh, you know migration background uh, tend to show a more resilient nature uh, and maybe also have to do with the fact that we need to survive that early stage of uh, of uh, migration in a, in a new place in a, in a new uh, environment um, with with almost nothing right um, and again that's really the nature of startup you started with nothing. Uh, you have to survive. You you do not know where the next month you will have uh, money to, and you you have to go through this whole process. Um, back to Israel, and the, I mean Israel is is known as the startup nation nowadays. And uh, and if you look at the uh, the the statistics, uh, and after understanding also the the the, the culture there, most of the uh, University students, most of them are very highly educated, right? So they will graduate from universities. Uh, but the first thing that they will do after graduation is not, uh, okay, I, I want to start working now. So there are two things that they will do. One is either they spend about one year to go out of Israel and explore the world just to go and see. I mean, not fanciful kind of travel. It's, it's really backpacking. Uh, but I want to understand what Latin America is like. I want to understand what Asia is like. So they just go out, right, and understand the world. Um, the second type is that, okay, I have this crazy idea. Uh, now I still do not have a lot of uh, commitment. I, I want to test out this idea. So they start a, uh, a, a startup. Uh, and in, in Israel, they have a very supportive ecosystem, right? So they, it's quite easy for the founder to go and get this the seed money, maybe fifty thousand, maybe a hundred thousand from either the government or, or there are a lot of accelerators, uh, incubator style of uh, investors over there. So that that's what they will do. Uh, and of course, I mean, it's is a is is a game of probability, right? You you have this pool of uh, people that are very innovative and and all that. You have one thousand ideas that you test. Well, at least ten percent of them maybe will become something, and and that's why you see uh, uh, a good number of startups uh, coming out from Israel across all sector, right? Uh, not just agri food. While in Singapore, even though uh, we have very similar demographic, uh, made up of uh, you know uh, uh, immigrants and uh, and also uh, have very challenging in terms of uh, natural resources. Uh, 
Singapore doesn't have that. But one thing that Singapore is doing very well is the fact that there are a lot of good jobs out there. Okay. So and 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 the 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 nature of us being Asian, when we graduate, we say, okay, we have spent a fortune in education. Let's we need to start paying that back. And and the first thing that comes to mind is then, okay, what is a good paying job that I can get into? Um, and also in in Singapore, uh, if you can get into the the, the public sector, is is a, is a very well paid job, uh, and and you have a lot of uh, career opportunity. So. That's the first option, right? Uh, so you don't see many of the, of the young people that say, okay, I want to start up. Uh, I want to do a startup. Um, but we see that slowly changing. Um, and maybe it was also due to the, the fact that there was COVID. Uh, some people lose their job. And, that, and, and, uh, and, and the government is saying that, okay, we cannot ignore the fact that startups uh, could contribute maybe 5 to 10% of their of the uh, GDP of the country eventually. So let's put some resources to support this. Um, and, uh, and then we encourage more and more um, uh, students, uh, young people, uh, or mid-career switch uh, 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 professionals to, to say that, okay, if you have good idea, let's test it out, right? Uh, we, we have all this uh, uh, support system in place uh, and, and, and let's give it a try. Three months, six months, a year, and uh, we'll figure out whether it works or not. And and we are seeing more and more uh, startups that come out uh, or are generated in this way. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing the insights on both the ecosystems to compare. It's comparative in different ways and uh, yeah. also works in a different way. So uh, talking about trend lines, can you describe the process you use to evaluate startups uh, that you intend to uh, invest in, in various industries that you spoke about, and uh, also which business models perhaps you'll never invest in? And what kind of evidence do you look for in a company, uh, whether it is, let's say, a founding team, what kind of uh, success the company should have shown uh, when you evaluate them? Mm. Uh, so. Again, there are two categories, right? We invest in early stage and later stage. So for for early stage companies, uh, of course, naturally you you don't have the numbers to show, you don't have tractions in the market. Uh, the way we we evaluate the the, the startup, um, two key factors that we uh, we we look at. One is the technology, uh, the depth of the technology, and then second is the team. Um, I mean, when we think of the market, will there be potential market and all that? That's part of the technology evaluation uh, because uh, for uh, for a tech company, eventually, uh, I mean, one of the likely exit scenario for such a startup is to to have a trade sale to the to the to the bigger uh, multinational companies. Um, so when we evaluate the technology, besides uh, Besides uh, uh, the, the IP or, or what IP strategy that they have, uh, whether they are infringing any any uh, any patent from other places, uh, or if this is a, a technology that comes out from a research institution or from universities, uh, what kind of licensing agreement that they have, um, we will look at that. And then at the same time, we will talk to our industry partner. Uh, of course, without exposing too much about the technology, but rather, okay, if there is a startup that can develop something like this in three to five years' time, uh, will this be uh, something that your organization will look at or will be interested in? Um, and, and from there, we can then get a signal of whether this is uh, relevant to the market, right? Or is, is this something that the, the, the big boys are already doing? Uh, and um, And then we will... Of course, we will weigh whether uh, this is the right startup to develop this technology, and that brings me to the second uh, evaluation, which evaluation, which is the team. Um, I think this is the hardest. Uh, there's no science behind uh, looking at a person and, and evaluating them whether they will make a good startup, uh, and uh, especially if they don't have a track record in in running a company, and that's the case for most of them. So. Uh, 
yeah, it's very subjective, but of course that is from the conversation. We, we speak to them, we allow them to speak to the key personnel in, in, the, in the organizations. We connect them to even the, the industry network or, or other fellow investors and, and get their feedback. Um, at the same time, of course, uh, because we are uh, quite connected in the community of the, of the agri-food uh, tech uh, uh, stakeholders, uh, we will hear, you know, from the grapevine, okay, is this a good guy? Uh, how are they doing? What's their background? Um, so a lot of that kind of work uh, when it comes to evaluation, and then we have to make a judgment call whether we think it's the right team to do that. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's how we do it. But for the later stage companies, uh, we tend to rely because uh, for, for the later stage companies, they, they, they are raising more money, right? Uh, uh, and we are, may, maybe we are only contributing at most one to two million into the round. So we, are, we, we don't normally lead that kind of uh, investment round. So we rely on the, on the lead investor in terms of uh, evaluation. Uh, of course, we also look at the, again, the technology itself and, and then the potential uh, ex- exit scenarios uh, by talking to the industry. So it's, it's pretty similar. It's just that uh, there's an added layer of, uh, of uh, what is the governance like in this company because they are already at a more mature stage. How is their financial uh, historical record? And, and then how are they going to spend uh, uh, the, the money once the, the fund is raised? So that's how we evaluate uh, these uh, companies. Yeah. Thank you, Anton. So this kind of uh, aligns to the 5T model of startup assessment that we have at Dudash, which is uh, team, technology, traction, TAM, the market opportunity, and timing. So the last year, uh, you know, for 2022, in numbers, the global venture funding kind of fell by 35% year over year as per the pitchfork data. Uh, even though the startup raised a record high of nearly 640 billions in 2021. So how do you make sense of the current market and where do you think is the untapped potential for the food tech market and the space in agri-tech and uh, medtech where you are actually investing in? Yeah, uh, I think you you brought up a great point uh, and, and the aspect of timing, uh, which uh, in your in your model, right? Because timing, I think, is uh, the hardest the hardest thing to crack. To be honest, right? I mean, uh, a good investment this year may not be good if it was one year ago or 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 maybe one year later. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, if you incorporate that uh, into 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 your model. Um, then really, I think uh, it will be very helpful in the helping uh, investors or potential investors to, to make investment decisions. Um, as for the agri-food sector, I mean, the trend that we are seeing now, uh, we maybe is similar to other sectors as well, is it's a, a, a phase of realization. So similarly, in, in the year of 2021, there were lots of money uh, that 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 went into uh, the agriculture sector, and uh, because at that time, I mean, with the problem of COVID, people stay at home uh, in, in lockdown. So a lot of uh, businesses that are involved in the food e-commerce logistics uh, or or new food, novel food, we call it the alternative protein space. People are willing to try new food because they are. They are bored at home or they can't do any other form of entertainment, right? So we saw demand spike up uh, and, and suddenly everybody thought this is the next big thing uh, without considering the other factors. What, what will happen if COVID disappears? And, and that's what's happening now, right? So everybody's almost back to normal uh, and, and we see a lot of uh, uh, agri-food tech companies are struggling uh, even though even even those that have raised hundreds of millions are now coming to realization that oh, people tried our products, uh, but they don't stay with our products. So where 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 does it go wrong, or what we didn't do right? Um, and so this this year, I think is really a a, a time of uh, I call it realization, right? Or you come to a realization that okay, they they those 
startups or those investments that I made one or two years ago were great for the value at the time. Uh, but I think we were too short-sighted when we when we look at the uh, companies or when we look at the potential market, we were being too optimistic. Um, and 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 now nowadays, I think uh, founders, especially first-time founders of of startups, also that went through that uh, that good time, also came to realize that oh, okay, uh, there is actually. Uh, disadvantage of raising at the too high a valuation at the beginning, right? That when you have to go through a down round uh, or when you have to go through a, a, a round where you give up uh, more than the, 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 the first few investments, uh, it actually, it's, it's not just a financial uh, issue. It's even within the team, the morale, the, 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 the whole company is affected by that. Um, so, they need to be careful when it comes to planning of their of their fundraising, right? You shouldn't be too ambitious and, and start with a seed round that is worth, I don't know. I mean, we, we had a record in Singapore where a, a food tech company raised the largest uh, seed round at 10 million. Uh, I do not know the exact valuation, but the, that was the largest uh, food tech uh, uh, seed round in, in, in the region. Um, so, yeah. I, I think this is uh, where we are coming to. Even for, for trend lines, uh, like for this year, we are more cautious in the deployment of uh, capital. Uh, as much as possible, we try to uh, reserve uh, a big chunk of that uh, capital to see whether our existing portfolios will need it uh, before rushing into making new investments again. Um, so, yeah, and I think many VCs are, are taking uh, that uh, position as well in this, uh, in this area. Yeah, I think that's um, that's pretty much goes in line with the conversations that I've been having with investors. I mean, I pretty much speak to at least one angel investor or a venture fund uh, on daily basis, so between one to four calls I have. And they're going pretty much in the methodology of uh, like what you started out with, the brick and mortar mentality of the founders, and they're backing them more and more looking into revenues and the KPIs. Yeah. And I think that's where Udash can help startup founders immensely because uh, their company profile presents a very structured uh, information to investors. It also allows a secure data room sharing with one pager pitch deck. And uh, for investors, they, they can build uh, in engagement with investors if there's a good fit. They can share their monthly or quarterly updates right from the platform. And as, as a result, they get a complete uh, you know, ecosystem in a single hub. And investors use the system from deal flow to due diligence, portfolio management. We have already 1,000 plus investors who are, who are there on the platform. And more and more uh, VC funds are using uh, the platform for uh, portfolio tracking functionality. So those of you who do not have your profile, it's a freemium model. So go ahead and set up your free fundraising profile. And for angel investors, it's pretty simple to access the deal flow and perform the due diligence. So now I'm going to ask you uh, very quick questions. Uh, okay, Anton, we just need a very simple, quick one or two sentence answers. Let me know whenever okay. you're ready. I'm ready. Okay, so a great one minute introduction that should contain a very important elements when talking to an investor like yourself. A very precise problem statement and how your technology or your solution will solve them. Don't tell me you're going to save the whole farmers, the whole ecosystem, make them richer. I, I, I need to know why is that specific uh, problem pain point that you're solving and how your technology will solve that. That's it. Which technologies do you think will give boost to the food tech and the agri-tech space? Um, digitalization. So in this region, is uh, the next three to five years will be about how uh, you can digitalize or digitize uh, the, the, the ecosystem uh, in, in this uh, sector. Which business models do you think will evolve more and more in your business? Ah, I didn't answer that question earlier, right? So. Uh, a slightly longer one. So I will not, for trend lines, we do not invest in a B to C company. Uh, not that it's bad, but just because we don't have the expertise to evaluate that. And we think that it needs a lot of uh, capital for such business model. Um, the business model that's evolving uh, in, or trending 
uh, in this space is to start with, uh, it's, it's still B2B, but it's a B2B that starts very early. What do I mean by that? That even from the con uh, inception of the technology or while the development is being done, you already have one or two key partners uh, in the form of corporates and MNCs that uh, will co-finance or co-develop that with you. And they will be your first client or the, the first big client that you have once your development is done. Um, and not until you've, you complete a product and then say, okay, I'm looking for uh, corporate uh, customers. So that's the, the kind that we, we are seeing more and more. So the conversation uh, with, uh, with corporates start very early. Gotcha. So any idea you think that should be worked upon not being tackled as of now? Um, I mean, I've seen many technologies and, uh, and many, uh, many ideas, uh, but I think one that is still lacking uh, in, in, the, in the effort is the understanding of our complex uh, soil uh, microbiology. So it, it is, I think, 99% of what is inside our soil or our ground is still unknown in terms of the, the, the biology of it, right? So you do not really know why certain soil is better than the others, why some crops are performing better in this uh, soil, and not the neighboring soil. Uh, so I, I think a lot of work still needs to be done there and uh, we can unlock a lot of value from that, not just from, uh, from yield perspective or quality of fruits or, or crops, but also from sustainability, right? Because we have, uh, uh, I mean, we, we all talk a lot about carbon uh, uh, sequestration. We talk about a lot about how to prevent emission of methane and all and I think the soil plays a big part. Share one of the craziest uh, idea that was pitched to you. To grow vegetables in the plane, and then by the time the plane arrives in the other country, you can sell the, the, the vegetables uh, or the crops in, the, in that country of destination. Awesome. <laughs> Where did that go? Did you follow that idea? Uh, it's a good dream, uh, but... It, it just cannot work as of now. So many limitations, uh, but it's it's crazy enough to make me remember that. Yeah, absolutely. So, who is yeah. your childhood inspiration? Uh well, there's this uh, businessman in uh, in Indonesia called uh, Sudono Salim, uh, and uh, he he's almost known as like the father of uh, of uh, business people in in Indonesia because he he started. Uh, uh, from uh, nothing, and and uh, and then became uh, one of the largest, uh, or maybe at one point he was the the, the richest and the largest uh, conglomerate in, in Indonesia. Uh, and yeah, so even from 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 a young child, uh, my 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 grandfather, my father would would talk to me about him and how we should emulate him and all that. So yeah, awesome. So what val what qualities do you value the most in a professional relationship? I think it's uh, integrity, I would say, uh, or trust, right? I mean, they're correlated. So, uh, uh, yeah, but that, that would be my answer. What drives you when you get up in the morning? Well, it keeps me awake at night as well. That's the problem of all the portfolios that they are facing. But that's the fun part as well, uh, because every day is new, uh, and having a few portfolios means that you have a few new problems every single day. So that what keeps me uh, active or alive in the morning. Awesome. What are you currently reading? Uh, a book called Success and Luck, uh, by Robert Frank. So it's it's an interesting uh, a way to look at how how much uh, luck actually plays a part, or probabilities play a part in the, in the success of uh, all the past uh, uh, figures. And uh, yeah, he has a nice way of dissecting that. It's funny. It's a very interesting topic. I was talking about it yesterday to a friend of mine. So it's definitely going to be on my reading list. Thank <laughs> you, really.
And uh, we do always have a lot of angel investors in our audience. So to those who are contemplating to invest or who have just begun their journey, what would you like to say to them? Um, I would say that uh, be very uh, uh, open about listening to all the deal flows or all opportunities, but also uh, be very diligent when when you you are when you are doing your research and your due diligence, uh, and again, to, I, I would say nowadays it is easier uh, with the help of tools like a uh, Dash to 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 make that uh, uh, due diligence work right, and uh, so do not be lazy about it, and and do not just invest based on oh that guy is investing. I I I I, I trust. I mean, you can trust that person, but they may not be the right uh, investment for you uh, uh, if you do not do the right due diligence. Amazing. Hmm. If you were to give one piece of advice to young Anton, what would that advice be? I would have started my startup when, when I could. Yeah. It's, it's something that I still haven't fulfilled. Uh, I hope I will eventually do that. Uh, but uh, I think I missed my timing. Uh, when I was young, uh, but yeah, that would be that what I would do uh, if I could go back in time. Awesome, thank you, Anton. That was really insightful. I'm going to start taking the audience questions now. So we do have a few uh, coming in. Some of them were sent to me directly. I would say please uh, share it in the audience uh, first for everybody's benefit. What are the KPIs do you think are the best for startups to track and report? in for the food tech and agri-tech startups because you mentioned for early stage uh, yeah. they may not have much attraction but for yeah. later stage yes so maybe i think just uh, zooming into that would be helpful for the startup founders in this space yeah. uh we term the key uh, the kpis uh, for our portfolio companies as fundable milestones um and we built this together with the with the founders or rather we agree on them uh so for early stage startups, it's very important that you stick to your uh, R&D or your technological roadmap, right? So if you say that I'm going to do this, uh, in three months' time, there's this uh, result that we are expecting. Again, we all understand R&D uh, is not 100% uh, guaranteed, right? But uh, delivering the result, whether it's a negative result, is also uh, uh, a key milestone, right? Then, then we need to decide, okay, uh, do we need to change anything? Do we need to or, or, or repeat uh, what we are doing just because of the factors that affect the negative result? So stick to that. Uh, stick to the roadmap uh, and, and, and the, and the uh, agreed milestone in terms of uh, delivering the uh, research and development results. For later stage companies, I, I I think then it becomes more complex because at one on one end you will have uh, still a new product development and R and D, but then you will also have a commercial uh, KPIs that you will need to to achieve. Um, I I think uh, the mistakes or uh, that uh, founders uh, tend to deliver is to overpromise. Right. So I, 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 I think the mentality should be that for investors, uh, I mean, we are, we are not unreasonable people, right? We, we don't say, okay, I, I need you to deliver 10 million next year when we know that the infrastructure and all that is not built yet. So be reasonable. Uh, and uh, of course, the, you will get that, that pressure from the investors to, to achieve uh, uh, or to reach the target or to, to uh, overcome uh, uh, to exceed the target, but uh, try not to overpromise. Yeah. Okay. This question is very interesting on the investment strategy. Perhaps you can also share about trend lines, uh, but it's a general question. What would you recommend for startups to when they're starting to raise money from VC? Should they raise via safe notes or convertible notes to evade the earlier mentioned risk of potential down round at a later stage? Yeah. Um, First, I think that VC is not the only uh, source of uh, uh, investment. You should, uh, as a startup founder, you should evaluate all possibilities. And uh, 
when it comes to the technical technicality of uh, what the mechanism you want to raise the fund, that is also very uh, dependent on the, the the type of investors that you talk to, right? Um, so you need to know your investors first, like what 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 they need or what do they look for uh, mm-hmm. before you propose and and say uh, let's do it by a safe, let's do it by a price round. Um, at the same time, you also know your limitation, right? If you need the money fast, you 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 need it within two months or three months. You have no time to negotiate the, for for long. Then of course, safe is is very straightforward. Right? You don't need to agree on certain valuation. You do not need to go back and forth with the investment committee or if it's a VC. Um, and uh, so that simplifies the. So I would say, again, borrowing the terms from you, that is about your timing, right? You need to know the timing that you are in and then what traction that you have at that moment, right? Uh, if the best time to raise money is always when you don't need the money, actually. Right, so then you have the luxury of time the, uh, to 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 choose, and and then you have the luxury of time to say, okay, uh, that investor offers me even better, so I will go to him or her. Um, but when you're in a situation that is very tight, I think then you have very often as a founder you don't have the option, right? So whatever the fastest uh, to get the money into the company, that would be the best uh, method. That's great advice. Uh, for a very early stage uh, food tech or an agri tech startup, when should they approach investors? Should they have their technology ready or the first tests are done? What are the typical uh, evidences that you would be looking for to look uh, for a very early stage company? Sorry, could you repeat that about venture debt? Are you talking about venture no, debt? No, it's about... Uh, a very so somebody who's talking about that I'm a very early stage startup. Mm-hmm. When should they actually approach the investors? Should they have their tech readiness, or it, it can be in the testing phase, or it could still be a concept? There's no time too early to reach out to investors or to VCs. Uh, you may not be investable at that point, uh, but uh, to have that conversation to get yourself into the the, the radar and the book uh, and the and the mind of the potential investors is already an achievement on its own, uh, and it gives you the opportunity to uh, to give yourself a chance to update them. Right. So let's say you come to them and say, "Okay, I have this idea. Now I'm at this stage, uh, not even a prototype, not an MVP." And and then the company, the VC or investor says, okay, uh, we can't invest in you. You are too early, uh, and it gives you the opportunity to say, okay, uh, within three months I will have this. And if you can achieve, if you can achieve that, after three months you give them another update. Look, I have uh, I have uh, uh, built a prototype now. Uh, that will only build the the, the confidence uh, in in the potential investors in you as a founder. So. I would say there's no time too early. Always, uh, uh, always on the lookout and uh, you know to reach out to to investors. I mean, maybe majority of them will just ignore you. But uh, yeah, no harm in in doing that. So I wouldn't say I wouldn't say you have to wait until you think you have uh, uh, something spectacular and then to to and then to go to the investors because you need time to build that. Uh, relationship as well. It's not a, a technical kind of uh, uh, relationship. Yeah, yeah. It's about building trust and uh, being visible, and then you are showing the perseverance of building a business. So I think that trust as a currency can be built by sharing updates, and exactly. of Geodash allows that for startups by helping investors to save time and money by startups to share standardized information covering the entire process from their deal information to the updates as well. So the next question is, what are the most exciting technological innovations that you see in the Southeast Asia? Are any startups that you're working with uh, that you that you can recommend to keep a close eye on? Yeah. Um, the, the biggest challenge uh, in, the, in Southeast Asia uh, especially in the agricultural sector, is that 
this is a, a, a market or a region that is made up of about 80 million, 80 uh, smallholder farmers, 80 million of them. Um, so the the nature of the challenge and the problem is very different, I say, from the European market, from the US, from Australia. Um, and uh, it doesn't, it is actually a region that still doesn't need, a, uh, I would say, a very sophisticated uh, technology uh, or, you know, your, your very spectacular rocket science kind of technology. Uh, but you need a, a, a company that understands how to get uh, into this uh, group of, uh, of people who, who are mostly, uh, most of them have low education, do not have the financial capability to adopt technology. Uh, but you know that your technology or your solution can benefit them. So the, the, the innovation is more on the business model rather than uh, uh, on the the technology itself. Um, and uh, so when, when I say that, uh, I see uh, interesting or, 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 or good startup uh, for, for Southeast Asia when it comes to agri-tech, uh, very often it's because they have cracked the, the, uh, the strategy on how to go into these farmers and, uh, you know, to, with, the, with the right business model. So, to answer that question directly, I think the biggest challenge to be solved now is how to enable the farmers having financial ex uh, or access to uh, to finance uh, that is sustainable, um, and um, and it's not so straightforward. I mean, you, yes, you have all the banks and the and the lending institutions that would want to borrow or would want to lend to them and would want to help these farmers, but the whole a process is just too costly and uh, it doesn't make any business sense for these lenders. At the same time, the farmers also do not have any collaterals, do not have any uh, uh, historical data that could then say, oh, my credit score is like this, I can, I can borrow this amount of money. So it's a big problem and I think it's a fundamental uh, uh, challenge that needs to be solved before the, the, the farmers will then be able to start adopting more uh, uh, technology for, for, their, for their farm uh, operations or for their, uh, uh, you know, for the different types of agri-inputs that they're using uh, and, and also how to solve their, their back end of uh, selling their produce uh, to, the, to the right people. So, yeah. That's a very important uh, point that you mentioned. And uh, I do follow that space uh, just from curiosity standpoint and how it's evolving. So I think education is a great pillar because even if there are resources which is which probably exist for them and for them to know that, so first is the awareness and the second is how to use it and what comes after that. So education remains like a key pillar in that sense and how to go about the digitalization and the resources that they have. So. That, that definitely remains the key challenge all the time. So I think yeah. we just have time for one last question and then we'll call it a wrap. So what are some of the don'ts you can recommend for the food tech and the agri-tech startups and also generally some things that they should never do or something that you see uh, kind of bring them down? Okay. Um... I I I think I won't comment on the on the tech development side because that's uh, uh, again uh, different team have different ways of doing that. But when it comes to uh, building relationship with investors or potential investors, uh, do not uh, use the the blanket approach of uh, you know when when you need to raise money or when you just want to get yourself into the the, the radar of investors. Uh, do some homework uh, before you reach out to the to the investors. Um, I mean, for example, if if I if I get an email, I, even though let's say I know where I put out my email and people approach me, but when I get email from a startup founder that says, "Okay, I am uh, I'm uh, building a, a e-commerce platform that helps to deliver," I I I don't know, uh, you know, uh, and 
totally something that has no relevance to what I, I, I want to invest or I'm interested in, right? It's very obvious that it's just a, a, a generic email that is blasted out to everybody. That really puts me off. And uh, and I think, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, you, you, you may think that, oh, as, uh, there's no harm, right? Because since I'm not interested, I, I, I won't be bothered anyway. But, uh, the, well, you never know the network of investors, right? If, if, you, if you approach me, let's say, with a specific problem and, uh, that, or in the space that I, I'm interested in, and at that point of time, I can't invest, right? I can't invest or I just don't have the money. Right? But I will still be recommending you to the right uh, people within the network. But if it's just a generic email like that, uh, uh, even worse, let's say just dear investor, you don't even bother to to address it to me, right? I I I won't even read it, right? So I I think that's uh, something uh, that uh, yeah you need to to watch out for when trying to uh, uh, reach out to the investors. Awesome. I mean, it's been great talking to you, Anton, and it kind of answered my last question to you, actually. So you, I know you're on the Dudash platform. So founders, yeah. please take care when you're reaching out to Anton. You can share your tech uh, progress. You can share your current KPIs if you're in the market and the market opportunity if you have patents. Just make sure that you provide that input and you can uh, reach out to Anton directly from within the platform. We have a messaging feature and uh, make sure that you have a targeted message. He's already provided enough insights onto that, how to go about that. And I know uh, you'll be able to find some amazing startups on Budash um, and I'm looking forward to your engagement there. Yeah. And um, I'm sure uh, some of you would have liked this uh, uh, particular uh, session. Please feel free to share with the others as well so that they can benefit. And thank you so much for joining us today. I'm looking forward to your engagement as audience also in the upcoming sessions. We hold these sessions every month and we also do asynchronous uh, podcasts, which we share out with the uh, social media channel on LinkedIn. Follow us there and uh, share whatever you like. Thank you so much for joining everybody today. Thank you, Anton, for your valuable time and insight. Likewise, thank you, Parul. Thank you, Dudesh, for the invitation. Have a good day. Fundraising is an event, but what happens before and after that? Qualitative investor relations are the basis for future success. Visit udash.com to learn more. And for more episodes, subscribe to our channel.